And uh, good day, one and all, golf nerds, geeks, golf buddies, range buddies. Uh, great to be with you on TSN 1150. My name's Humble Howard. From the uh, Humble and Fred show now to our 30th year of just absolute mediocrity. It's quite something. Uh, of course, I'm golf spiritual leader. I don't, who, who says? I say, that's who. And uh, with me is my uh, cohort, my buddy. <laughs> Even though we never play golf, no matter how many times I beg him. Uh, he's the uh, mental performance coach, Glen Abbey Golf Academy, and of course the... Uh, the man that helps guide the Guelph Griffins, Tim O'Connor, sir. Good morning. How are you? Fantastic. Uh, great. To, you know, it's funny. It, it's you notice how quick, how quiet we Canadians have been about the weather lately. <laughs> well, it's instant summer. That's what happens. <laughs> I mean, for After all our complaining. That's all we did. We just we whined. For wow, eight, wow. wind, all we did was wind for most of April, May, and half of June, and now we're just walking around like, oh yeah, Canada's great. I was I, I was in a University of Guelph event on Monday, and this guy went, you know, if that wind dies down, it's really gonna be hot. I said, stop it. You cannot complain <laughs> about the heat. It's oh, not on my tee. Yeah, I had somebody. Uh, I was at an event a couple of days ago, and they go, yeah, man, it's just so windy. I'm like, yeah, it's better than when it was raining sideways. And snowing sideways and ice under your feet and all of that. Um, we want to welcome everyone to the show. If you don't know, we do, we've do. we been doing this podcast, and then uh, I guess we've been doing it for a few years and just uh, thrilled to be part of TSN on the weekends. And uh, you can find you know, some of the older episodes and some of the people that we've had the honor, the, the good fortune of being able to speak to. I mean, think about what we're doing here. We're just two guys that love golf. <clears throat> Excuse me. And because of this podcast, we've been able to speak to some of the most, you know, sort of well-known golf brain guys, you know, that do this job. Did that even come out remotely? I think you know what I'm trying to say, right? We talk to smart people in yes. golf <laughs> and in psychology and world awareness and everything. It's We're very fortunate. It's, it's fun. I mean, that's the same thing I remember – when I was writing about golf in the 90s, I went, wow, I get to talk to cool people. This is really fun. Yeah, I mean, it's the kind of thing that Tim and I were laughing just before we hit record because, you know, today we have no guests. So what you're going to get is just us. But what this is, this will just be what it was like before we started recording these podcasts. We just sort of got together. We talked about golf. We geeked out about the sport because we love it. But there's a particular aspect to it. And today I thought we would um, talk about a little bit of the yin-yang of golf. And the yin and the yang being, <clears throat> excuse me, golf instruction, moving your body, trying to figure out how to hit a golf ball, and the mental side of the game, which both of us believe has sort of a, I'm not going to say, I'll say mystical, has a mystical aspect to it. It's where the soul of the game is, I believe. What do you think? Yeah, well, it's it's kind of a mystery of Politics, religion, uh, and certainly golf in terms of how do you square this unsolvable mystery, it seems sometimes, but how do I move my body in a way so they don't uh, shank it or pull it or top it? And then I hear from this other side of things where I'm not supposed to think of anything. I'm just supposed to you know, focus on the target and be free. And people get confused where, where do they kind of – put themselves is it in mechanics or is it all the way into being free and whatnot uh we should mention too that this show is brought to you by taylor made number one drivers in golf again uh i'm using the t what am i using the m6 you're using the m5 m5 driver yes m5 driver i'm, I'm using the tp5 balls i got those uh did did you get a box of those high viz balls high fizz Fizz? <laughs> no, not high fizz. You weirdo. That's oh, the ones with little starries on them. That's really funny. No, they must like you better. Um, yeah, that's what it is. Okay, child. 
<laughs> Jesus. How, how did you go to that so quickly? They must like, okay, Chip, this isn't my three sons, for God's sake. No, this is just my work, man. Okay, my, well, you know, you know, listen, you, <laughs> you do do the work on your own. No, it's, I don't know, maybe because they were shipping, ah, it doesn't matter. Anyway, they're, they're, TaylorMade has these, they're called high-vis. And and they've got these little Victor? <laughs> yes, visibility a nut. Okay. Anyway, you should check them out. I'll, when I see you, I'll give you. I got a. I, it's it's hard to describe, but the just the way they they look, the the patterning on the golf ball makes it higher uh, visibility and easier to see when we lose them in the rough. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. How about when they roll? Yeah, it's, it's cool on the green. because you can see them really roll end over end. Um, also, want to thank our, our good friends at Adidas. And um, did you get your Adidas stuff, or do they like me better too? I got my Adidas All stuff. Right. I think we're square there. <laughs> okay, so I didn't get a TaylorMade original one T-shirt like that either. That's very nice, that dude. You're this wearing. is last year's stuff. Oh, but it's it holds up well, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it shows off my guns. <laughs> I got guns. Um, anyway, uh, this is the show. Welcome to it. If you're uh, just uh, finishing up your Saturday morning round, I hope you played well. If you're going to get to play tomorrow on the show today, uh, I've got a couple of topics I want to run by uh, Coach Tim uh, under the heading of round killers. Also, playing the shot you know how to play. I had a couple of good conversations with some uh, golfers about that this week. As well, I want to update uh, you, Tim, <clears throat> about my... Because I, I was injured for a good yes. good long time. On the DL. <clears throat> and then um, I've been back playing a lot of tournaments. Uh, I had some significant uh, tournament golf this last weekend. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Didn't you, uh, didn't you know? <laughs> uh, I was... No, I didn't. Did I you, know, was... you know, last week we did this show. It was you and me and Dr. Ed, and I was talking about the Senior Club Championship and the Ontario Senior Am Qualifier and some other things. And nothing. I, I hear healing. nothing from you. I was healing myself oh, oh, were you? Uh, after 54 holes uh, on Friday. I think oh, yeah? that was, that's what I was. I was I was alone in my cocoon of selfish contemplation. Why were you uh, playing 54 holes? Because it was it was our way, our golf way of celebrating the summer solstice, June twenty first, the longest day um, in the world. I don't know. Sun, the sun shines a lot that day, the most. So my good friend Rob Jacoby, who we had on the show in our early days, organized this thing with his buds. So we played fifty four holes at what's it called now? TPC of Toronto, Osprey Valley, something. Yeah, great golf course, by the way. Absolutely. And uh, so we teed off on the Heathlands at, I think, about 6.45. And we came off the south course or the hoop. I don't know if it has the old name or not. At about quarter to nine. And it was that night. It was a great day of golf. It was really, really fun. So in a round, I've only ever had the opportunity to do that once or twice when years ago it was Ben Kern and myself and a couple of other pros from the National. Uh, we did this charity thing, and I, I we, we did it a couple of times where we played 72 in one one day. And, wow. and what happened was the members at the club knew we were trying to raise money for this thing. So they just led us through all day long. But uh, I will tell you that from my experience, the second and third rounds were fine. But the fourth round, I just couldn't. I just couldn't lift the club that much. It was more a guy. It was more a case of just being fatigued. What about you? Out, out on the the when did you start to hit the wall? Uh, you know what? I think it was the fifty fourth hole. I had it going all day. I was playing really well, um, and uh, I I don't know what I was probably about. I think six seven over, which is the sweet spot for you know a golfer like me. You know, with a par 72 course, like 79, yes, 80, kissing your sister. <laughs> Anyways, I got on the 18th tee, duck hook water, shit. And then again, duck oh, hook water. Oh, that's okay. Don't, don't worry about that. I'll, I'll just add that to the post-production that I have to do. Thanks, oh, Tim. Sorry. Adding to your workload, sorry. Great. Um, 
Yeah, that's, that's good. So we're on the just so you just to update you, Timmy. We're, we're on the radio now, and no, uh, I know, you know it's, it's bad uh, habits. I'm trying to free. Anyway, so let's get back to your, your story of, of woe. So you were six over all day on each round. Is, is this what you're trying to tell me? Hey, no, I, I had a really, I had it going all day. I was hitting the ball really well. And it would, anyway, I just, I think I hit the wall on the 54th hole. I just suddenly, ah, how did nothing. your, how did your body feel the next day? Tired. Yeah. It's a lot of golf. Yeah, it is a lot of golf, but it was really fun. And, and you know, kind of like the nugget, if you want to be semi-serious about it, was that I, it was probably, I think it was like my eighth or ninth, you know, as eighth, ninth, and tenth round of the year. So I hadn't played a lot. I hadn't played in two weeks, and it was like, oh, I was really starting to get the feel of this thing. Uh, I was, I was way more adept at connecting to what I kind of what you might call my authentic swing, the swing that I have. As opposed to thinking about, um, you know, I'm the same as everybody else. I go through these times of like, am I taking an off plane here? You know, am I, am I firing to target? All that sort of directed stuff, you know, my mind trying to trying to direct the show. And I just felt throughout the day, just like take it back. And then my body just kind of knew what to do. And I was hitting it great. It was really fun, fun day. Well, you know, it's interesting because I've had several conversations recently with some teaching prof- professionals. <laughs> um, and, and you know, a lot of times the discussion will come up, you know, how much can the mental side influence a golfer versus the physical side? And and you just brought something up. Like, you're, you and I are no different. I'm, I'm just human. I'm, you know, I can be given to bouts of, um, you know, doubt and... and you know, and, and, and trying to figure out what's wrong with my swing and, and all those things. But but I wanted to just throw something at you because this is, you know, Fred Shoemaker, who you've, you know, you've we've had on the show and you've done his course. But Fred's sort of the, the godfather, if you will, of free the mind, free the body. But Fred Shoemaker was also a professional, you know, golf teacher. And if you're aimed... 50 uh, you know, yards right of your target or the ball is way too far back in your stance, you can free your mind all day long, but there are Absolutely. some fundamental basics that you need to address. And I think that we do a disservice by telling golfers, oh, no, it's all in your head. It, it's not. I mean, there's a, a physical element to this. Oh, 100%. And, and, and as a guy that's you know, shoemaker certified, what, what would you say to that? That it's you're absolutely correct. That to me, the game at its best when when I'm playing my best and when most golfers are, it's not a mental game. It is a physical game. You're using you're you're playing a golf ball, which is a real thing. It's physical. A club. It's a it's a tool. <laughs> your body is real. The ground is real. Your mind is is this area that I have the saying. Feel is real. Thoughts are not. Your thoughts, they come and go. They're kind of like, uh, you know, bubbles in a champagne glass. that you see coming and coming. And so much of what we think are just, in essence, interpretations, uh, quite frankly, fantasy. You know, it's just stuff that could happen. The more we can make golf a physical game, and, and that is feel what's happening in our body, be aware of our surroundings, orient ourselves to our target know where we're aiming you're 100 percent correct and so yeah but, you but, can, those, but those are thoughts out. like th- those are great like know where you're aiming you know i mean i mean those are all basic things and and, and i would tell you like every time i put every time i put a, a ball down to practice i've got a, an alignment rod Absolutely. You know, I one of the things I learned from Every Shot Has a Purpose, the book uh, that was written by Lynn Marriott and uh, Pia Nelson. Thank you. But what what they say, and I noticed this recently watching some uh, tour players warm up on one of the broadcasts. They showed the guys on the range, and not only did they all have, you know, either an alignment rod or a coach behind them, but they all every range shot they hit took 30 times longer than the rest you know most of us just you know scrape and smack you know it's like they we hit a ball but those guys on the range their shots had a purpose 
And what they're doing is they're getting their body in the mode to play the game that they're about to, to, to go and play. But I think we, be, we, do, we do a disservice by people thinking that you don't need to have any of those basics. You know, like I, in the second half, I want to talk about, you know, some of the things that I, I, I went through, I've gone through recently that, you know, some of the, the learning from the show has rubbed off on a lot of us, uh, especially talking about my journey as a tournament player because, you know, as Bobby Jones said, you know, golf's a funny, fun game. It's all, you know, it's all, you know, poops and giggles, as the kids would say, until it matters, you know, until there's something at stake. Like you played right. 50, you played 54 holes on Friday. Not that there wasn't anything at stake because golf inherently has an outcome. At, we, we, we have to put a number to it. So there's an inherent outcome. But, you know, there was nothing really at stake other than just the enjoyment of the day. And other than me wanting to score. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's the inherent. But but you, you told me about a men's night a couple of weeks ago where it was just chaos. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, and for what reason? Because, you you know, when we put a... And would you, you know, when we put expectation around the game, it becomes it becomes something to be managed, and that's where I think we come in. Yeah, absolutely. And and but there's also some. So yeah, going into a game with expectations is always a very difficult thing. Um, I always tell my golfers on the uh, University of Guelph team, if you know you could kind of look as you drive home from the course you can look in the mirror and say you know i did my best today that's the best you can do um and i love the phrase that the man with no expectations will never be disappointed but there's days in which you will be disappointed by this day because just for whatever reason it ain't it ain't happening for you that day uh some stress that happens off the course that i might bring onto the course uh Maybe, uh, I don't know, I had an extra beer the night before. Um, you know, there's just stuff, and I just distracted or something. It's just not a day that's going to happen. That's okay. And that's going to happen in tournaments. I mean, look at um, tournament players, like on the tour. It's, again, talk about sort of mystery in a facetious way. Um, how can a guy shoot a 63 on, say, a Thursday, and then on a Friday – he might struggle to make that cut. He might make a seventy-five or something. What do you what do you attribute that to? You know, what happens. Well, we I, I was going to sort of interject, but the you know it's easy to attribute that because you know it's like I I always bring up that thing and Roger Maltby said I thought I thought it was brilliant because in its simplicity it's very much like Bobby Jones. You know when Jones said there's golf and tournament golf, Roger Maltby said you know golf's an easy game until you care. Yes, and. Um, and I, I, I'm sorry, I lost what I was going to say. Connecting to the idea that your body changes every day. I know. You know, one of the things that I've said that I, I think resonates with golfers is that there should be a sign at the beginning of every, you know, golf uh, experience that says, you know, past performance is no indication of future results. Absolutely. You know, I'll tell you a quick story from yesterday. I'm watching the PGA event in Detroit and uh, two things. There's Gary Woodland, who just won the U.S. Open. This is his first start since he won the biggest tournament of his life. So yeah. whether, well, that was a couple weeks ago. He hasn't played a tournament. He starts the round, and when I pick up the uh, broadcast, he's, I think he's four over into the back nine. Like, he's bogeyed the first. He shot three over on the front. No, I'm sorry. He shoots three over on the front, and he bogeys 10 and 11. So when I pick it up, he's five over par. This is the U.S. Open champion. It's no other. That's like a guy that's that hits three fifty in baseball, uh, just whiffing every time. And then because he, because this is the point I'm trying to make. Those guys are yes, physically gifted, but they're just like all of us. They're human beings. So you could see, you know, he's probably discouraged and maybe a little bit embarrassed. Like I'm the U.S. Open champion and I'm hacking it around. But what yeah. he did, what that was so impressive, is on the last seven holes, he birdies four of them. Now the lesson I, I take away from that, and I think it's good for everyone at whatever level you're at, is you just never know. When the next hole is going to start a stretch of your best golf ever, you just don't know that. And, and I know it sounds childlike and stupid, but it's true. Every hole begins the opportunity to have an amazing experience. 
Absolutely. And that amazing, and that could come to you on the 16th or 17th hole of a round that you thought was horrible. Yeah. So it could be something that you could continue into the next day. And that's why the, the mantra that people hear things over and over again, they think it's just a cliche, things like, you know, be present or play one shot at a time. That is just, that stuff is as fundamental as get your grip correct, get aligned right. Play If you play the game one shot at a time, that's really all you can do. I was working with uh, a, a young client yesterday, and what we're working on is his post-shot routine. So that when a shot is done, he can leave it right there. So he's not. So if he hits a drive that say didn't go so well, he's not thinking about it when he gets to his approach shot because then he's not focused. He's not ready. That's right. So that ability to just you know maybe he didn't hit the drive the way he wanted. Maybe take another practice swing and like oh that's what I wanted to feel. But as soon as the club say goes in the bag or takes his glove off, the shot is done, and that's just a way you can put that mantra, if you will, of play the golf golf one shot at a time to practice. So the second thing I wanted to mention about yesterday's round, so there's Gary Woodland, who, and by the way, the thing that really separates even good amateurs like me and professionals is that I can't always muster the mental energy to bring it back. I'm better than I used to be. I'm much better. But it's not always there. The second thing I want to bring up about what I saw yesterday is a guy named Jason Kokrak. He's a great oh, yeah. golfer. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's made. Um, he had the PGA record up until a week ago, 23 cuts in a row, missed a cut. It really bugged him, they said. So he comes back yesterday, first round of the tournament, and when we find him somewhere on the back nine, he's seven under par. Up to this moment, nobody's been following him. No cameras, no commentators, no on-course guys. And don't you know, he's seven under par, and they're starting to talk about, you know, he could shoot, you know, 60 or 61. And don't you know, he doesn't birdie another hole. Because all of a sudden, there's a camera guy, and there's the sound guy, and there's, there's a commentator. And you could just tell he hit good shots. The putts just, he just stopped just releasing it a little bit. Just, just hit the corners of the cup. And it just goes to show you that the only thing that changed was all of a sudden now, instead of just doing what he was doing, making seven birdies in the first 12 holes or whatever it was, it somehow meant something. Absolutely. All, all of a sudden, he cared differently than he did before. Yep. Oh, yeah. Well said, young man. Um, Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I like, to, I like how you said the word release. Like, suddenly, he's invested in the outcome, this is there's a story going on here. Really, that's what the media is doing. Not to you know, we are we're media, but they're creating the story. Oh, he Jason Kokrak's on the way to a sixty, perhaps. Can he do it, folks? And then you know, what are the analysts is going to go? Well, the next hole he's got's birdieable. The next one's a tough one. Yep. I yeah, sure. A lot of this stuff would start going on in Kokrak's head, and but that's the thing that the the guys at the very top level can do is they can ride this stuff out like Woodland, you know, he said, yeah, sure. He, he might've been a little bit embarrassed, you know, to be five over at one stage like that. But what they're able to do is disassociate from their identity, the story. They are able to do kind of get themselves in a process to, and use their own awareness to go, Oh, I'm in the story right now. Or it may not be as, clear cut is that but they're able to go oh boy i'm i'm now focused on this and does that serve me no i'm going to come back just to my process and just let that stuff go and uh, I, I think that's why really good players like say rory are able to kind of withstand the ups and downs of their careers yeah and 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 same with you know jack nicholas and watson and tiger and hogan by the way when we come back i want to ask you did you see that hogan uh, special on uh, from Golf Channel Films? No, I, uh, I need to, for well, sure. I, I would just say, if you're a golf uh, fan and a his, and you're into the history of the game, it really is something. It's it's not only great about, it's not just about Ben Hogan, but for guys of our age, you know, 50s and 60s, it brings me, it brought me back 
to golf in the 50s and 60s and early 70s and what the game looked like and the characters and the, the people, the personalities. And, and I, I know, O'Connor, you would love it. Uh, hey, sure. every, hey, everyone. Or 58 or 59 or so, are you? What's that, sir? You weren't born until 58 or 59, you don't think. Yeah, but, but you know what I mean? Looking back at, yeah, I was born in, uh, I was born in 1970, Tim. No, it just, but looking back at that time in golf, just the, you know, Sneed wearing those alpacas and Palmer as a young man smoking cigarettes. Hey, we got to take a break, everyone. It's, uh, we're just getting started. In the next uh, half hour, we're going to talk about playing the shot you know how to play and how that can shave so many shots off your round. We'll explain how. It's uh, Humble Howard, Tim O'Connor. This is Swing Thought. Band is blowing Dixie, double fall time. Feel alright, bring me here to New Tangley. And uh, welcome back. This is Swing Thoughts, the mental performance podcast slash radio show here. Uh, great to be with you on TSN 1150. I'm Humble Howard. Tim O'Connor's here. Uh, yeah, we both have other jobs, but uh, this is our uh, passion. This is the thing we think about. You know, O'Connor, I don't know. Does your family, is your long-suffering wife have any idea how much of your mental acuity is, is uh, taken up in, with thinking about your backswing or golf in general? Do they have any clue? Oh, my God. Yes, she does. I mean, I'm banned from swinging golf clubs in the house now. Um, <laughs> we had uh, too, many, awesome. too many things got damaged. Well, here's how you know I'm a golf geek because I've literally lost golf balls in my house. Like, there's balls right now in my upper level. Like, I can't find them. Like, there's so many. Like, I've got my putting golf balls. I've got my spongy ones that I hit against the wall. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yes, your daughter. Hey, hey, hon, did you see a Tyler 7 with a red dot? I mean, or did you see a tailor-made TP5 with a blue circle? Well, those are old balls that we're talking. You use your old balls, right? Oh, okay, whatever. All right. around the house. <laughs> this, this show is brought to you by TaylorMade, the uh, number one driver in golf, and, of course, Adidas. And uh, we'll have one more opportunity coming up, I think, for the uh, Open Championship. Although we're going to have to talk about uh, some recording because I am deep, deep into the uh, tournament players' uh, season. Uh, today's the first day out of the last five that I haven't had a, uh, a round of tournament golf. They, they haven't played any casual golf. Uh, so lots of stuff still to come. On uh, this next little segment, I want to talk about a couple of things with uh, Coach Tim that I think will be great for you, the average golfer, that is going to definitely make a difference in in a, in a couple of strokes. I was at, you know, one of the things, uh, a lot of we were talking about being old and how the the spring has been cold, and, and I really was hurt. I, I overdid it. I hurt my shoulder. I've been going to physio pretty regularly with some TPI guys. Uh, anyway, so I'm in, I'm in therapy yesterday, and, a, and a, a nice woman there, she's talking about her shoulder. I said, is that a golf injury? Thinking it was as a joke. She goes, yes, as a matter of fact, it was. And yeah. she and I started talking about golf. She told, I asked her, you know, how does she enjoy the game? Her and her husband play, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so here's a perfect example. She's a 90s shooter. She can break 100, so that's amazing. Yeah. But I said to her, let me guess, you know, you make a lot of pars and bogeys. She goes, yes. And I said, but you also make some triples and doubles and those type of things. And she says, you know, if I could just, and this was a great uh, thing for us to discuss here. She goes, if I could just make a few less, what she called double chips or she chips twice. Yeah. She goes, that happens to me a couple times around. And she said, and, and I will sometimes three-putt more than I'd like. And I said, well, sister, <laughs> let, let me tell you a little story about three-putting. The knowing look, the, yeah. the eyebrows went up. So I'll tell you my three-putting report uh, from some tournaments. But, Tim, let's talk a little bit about using her as an example. We, we took a course, Tim and I, uh, called Decade Golf. And it was aimed at better players. But I think what, what I'd like to talk to you about today is how that would apply to the average player. Because what we learned that day is it's not the birdies for better players. It's not the birdies you make that make a difference. It's the penalty shots, the, the, the three putts, and the, you know, the chips that go awry. 
those are the ones that kill your round, the round killers. Right. And, and, and so for the average player, Tim, we could extrapolate that it's the doubles and triples you don't make. It's not the pars necessarily. You don't need to make more pars than you're making now, and you don't need to make birdies. You just need to eliminate the penalty strokes, the two chips, and the three putts. Go. Yeah, that's and you know what? It's the exact same with really good players. So, yes, I, I coach the University of Guelph golf team. So a lot of these players are plus handicaps, these guys. And the key thing that we talk about through this season that we just finished, and we had a great season with our men's team that finished eighth in Canada, was that exact thing. That guys don't focus on so much on, on having to make birdies all the time. If you can eliminate the others, you'll be fine. And a key part of that is around course management. Is And particularly when you're working with young guys who just they they're so in love with distance, is that they have to understand there's times in which, you know, you might be better off hitting a foreign off a tee just to put yourself in play as opposed to taking this line that's, you know, quite impossible and daring. So get yourself in play. That is such a key part of it. Even that strokes gained whole uh, methodology has proven that you've got, if you don't put the ball in play off the tee, you're not going to score. And then, and then your approach shots, is it where the place to aim for any level of golfer? Middle of green. Mm-hmm. That, that gives you a chance. Um, you know, what's your experience with that? I mean, you're, you hit 12, 13, 14 greens around. Would, how has that influenced your game, that whole idea of going for, say, the middle of the green instead of attacking a pin? Um, for me, it starts, uh, for me, it starts on the T like I, I, I've, you know, I've really tried to put some of my ego aside. Cause I, I mean, you know, none of us, you can't put it all aside cause it's kind of what drives you to, to try and get better. But what I mean by putting my own ego aside is I don't necessarily think about hitting driver on every hole, even if it's a, a, a par five. And because I, I can tell you, I have one of two mindsets, which is, you know, some people play in practice mode. I was talking about this with my older brother, David, who is a, a big fan of the show, loves you, loves me, um, loves this whole chitty chat. But I said to him when we were playing a couple weeks ago, I said, yeah, you have to understand you can either be in practice golf mode or in play golf mode. But if you're in between, if you're kind of working on your swing, but you kind of would like to make a par, it's chaos. And I said, I said for my own self, my reason, you know, reason to be my raison debt is what is the lowest score I can make in this hole? And if, if I can, if it's a 420 yard hole, but it's a narrow tee shot, I might hit hybrid off the tee. I, maybe I'm only going to hit that 220, but I just want to be in play because I know from somewhere in play I can get it on the green or near the green. So that's what I how I look at it. I look at it like what's the, what's the path to the lowest shot? Not can I practice my swing here? Because believe me, I've been guilty of that for years. Oh, we all have. You know, I, I you know, and 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 I learned this lesson from my friend Paul Henrik, who whose family has been teaching golf in this area for years. He said you can't be in both places. If you want to be in practice golf mode during a round, perfectly fine. But you've got to say to yourself, I'm going to accept that there's going to be some shots that are going to go awry. And if you're using that round to practice something you and you, you've been working on, great. Then don't get mad because you're just practicing. But the problem is most of us exist in a murky area where nothing clear is, is being set out, which is why, you know, working with your players or working myself as a, as a tournament player, in tournaments or in rounds that matter, I would say, I only want to be in in play mode, not what am I doing with my golf swing mode, even when it goes awry. Absolutely. And uh, I really, I learned that, well, it ingrained it or bolstered it with me was this book called The Practice Manual by Adam Young. If you, This is a great book, um, goes into a lot of detail about exactly what we're talking about. And one of my key takeaways from this book was that when you are trying to do something with your golf swing, as you were talking about, kind of in practice mode, you increase your dispersion you because you're trying to change something. Whereas if you just go with what you have that day, you just in playing mode, your dispersion, you, you're just so much, you may not have a fundamentally 
perfect golf swing and who does. But when you just go with what you have, you're just so much it's so much easier to hit better shots, better contact, more you'll keep the ball more in the lines that you're looking for. Absolutely. If you're if you're a um a club player and the hole is 375 or 380 yards and it dog legs left and you don't hit a draw for a right-handed player and you know that you can't draw it around that uh dog leg, you would be better off teeing off with a four iron or a hybrid or something that will get you to the corner of the dog leg. So let's say that's 210 yards, but you're in play versus your driver. You're in the trees, you're in the water, you're in the hazard. So now you're in play and maybe you don't get it to the green, but at least you get it near the green. You chip up, maybe you make par, but the worst you make is bogey. In the other scenario, you hit driver, you don't draw it, it, it blocks right, you're behind a tree, you're chipping out, you know, and on and on and on. Now you've made seven. So when I say, and this is, this is under the category of play the shot you know you can play. Like, and some days as a better player, I don't have my draw. Or, I, you know, I used to joke I left my, left my fade in the car. I don't have it. So the, the intelligent, mature, which, by the way, I just learned this. The intelligent, <laughs> mature? Yeah. You're describing yourself? No, no. But <laughs> the mature thing to do is just hit what you have. You just know you don't have it that day. And, you know, I, I played a tournament on Monday. I played a qualifier, and I said to myself before the round, I said, I know the golf course. It's a very, very narrow, very tight track called Silver Lakes in Newmarket. Very good golf oh, yeah, course. Yeah. But I know it's not so long. There's three, three and a half holes I need to hit driver on. But I, I said to you myself, I said, Howard, I don't care what anyone else is. Because sometimes you're influenced by, oh, what's the other guy going to hit? Absolutely. I, I said, I'm not hitting driver on any of these holes. I knew that before I started. And I said to myself, I don't care how short a club I have to hit off that tee. I don't care. I just want to get it on the fairway because I'm a, I'm a very, very good iron player. And so if I'm on the fairway, it's why I hit a lot of greens. I don't hit a lot of greens because I'm a good driver. I hit a lot of greens because given a short iron, mid iron, I'm, I'm good proximity-wise. So I said, what's your strength? My strength is I can hit a lot of greens. And that's what I tried to do because under those circumstances, it's not about what, what's my lowest score I could shoot today. I just didn't want to shoot the number that didn't allow me to, to advance. Yeah. So, so my strategy was very conservative. Now, on, in that conservative strategy, I let myself just rip it. Like on the first tee of this qualifier, I ripped a, a hybrid. The other guys hit drivers. And with varying results. But I was right in the middle of the fairway. So my round started with kind of a... I got to kind of relax. I'm like, okay, I'm here. Here's where yeah. I am now. And, and, you know, this puzzle, as Ed would say, Dr. Ed would say, part of the first puzzle was solved. I was in the fairway. And that's all that mattered. That's, that's awesome. And, and what I like about that is that that fits in with a thing that I think is really important is intention for the day, and which fits into strategy. Your intention was not to, you know, try and shoot a, a, a great score. I mean, it's, it's nice, but you knew that, that you were playing a bigger game yeah. and that you needed to make the cut. And what did it require? You looked at the golf course. So your intention was that influenced your strategy. So that's really smart stuff. Well, and it gets back to the under the category of playing the shot you know how to play. If you're shooting in the 90s or the high 80s or even at 100, there are shots you know you know how to play. A 7-iron feels more comfortable when you look down on it than a hybrid off the fairway or a 3-wood try, trying to hit the, uh, the, the second shot in a par 5. Okay, so here we go. Oh, I just want, to, just want to add quickly, that is acceptance. Yes. We talked about that with Charles Fitzsimmons. There's accepting what the game gives you, and that takes a degree of maturity and awareness. Some days you'll just go there and that draw ain't there. It's a fade that day. You accept it. You don't have something. You accept it and just move on. You don't try and fix it. Like there, there's. Right. I'm not. I'm not sure if we've told the story. I'm sure you know it. The story of Nicholas started off around with a, a dro hit driver on the first couple of holes and either I don't know pull hooked him or he just didn't like the way it felt. On that day, he didn't think his driver would serve him very well, so he never hit it again. He, Because even the greatest player that's ever played the game knew that what you need to do to score is just hit shots you know how to hit. If you've, exactly. got, a, if you're, if you've got a shot over a bunker to a near pin and it's on a tight lie, you don't know how to hit that shot. 
What you do know how to do is take your pitching wedge and look over to the right side of the green and chip it on. And yeah, you'll have 40 feet. But if you try and flop that tight lie over the bunker, you're going to scull it out of bounds and you're going to make a million. So yeah, it's having the maturity to go, I know I can hit this shot. So why try the shot you don't know how to hit? That's one of my key takeaways this year. And, and we talked about, talk about this a number of times, is that particularly how, how we watched Tiger negotiate himself around the back nine at the Masters this year. That was a master class in course management. You know, I will just tell you quickly before I launch into this uh, report, but even Tiger Woods, when he's over a shot that he's comfortable with, that he knows how to hit, it, it definitely does something to you physiologically that allows you to hit the ball better because it's the commit. It, it's like you're sure of it. Whereas we've all had experiences, you and I especially, where we'll be over a shot, as, as Doctor Joe Parent said, and hit it anyway. Where right. you, where you say, okay, the shot's a six iron, but you didn't consider that it was a little. The ball was slightly above you, and you didn't really feel it until you took your address position. But you're thinking, hmm, maybe six iron doesn't work. But oh well, I'll hit it anyway, and it's the wrong club. Right. Anyways, never work out. Yet if, you know, you went back and changed to a choke down five or whatever the scenario is, all of a sudden your 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 fight or flight drops so slightly that you are are generally execute the shot better. Yeah, and it's but that takes a it takes awareness. And rather than being in your head about thinking about maybe that in a practice mode I have to swing the club this way, be on plane, etc., is feeling what's going on in your body. That you, t- that you have to be able to listen to your body. And if you feel uncomfortable over that, that six iron with the ball above your feet, then you better change. And, and this is where I'm 100% behind the O'Connor doctrine of feel, listen to what your body's telling you. Because in that particular instance, it, it's send, pardon me, sending signals to your brain that this is the wrong thing. But it's a thing now. It's an O'Connor doctrine. I just put it out there. Yeah, the O'Connor doctrine. Like the Marshall Plan or something. (laughs) Yes, yes, that's what it's like. Okay, so here's your choice. Do you want to hear? Because because I've had two things of significance. I had a couple of nice tournaments on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, but they were one day things and our men's night, and I, I played nicely. But last weekend, I was the defending club champion in the senior. I want to hear about that. Wait, you can you can have that. Um, and for this is the third year in a row. Two years ago, I finished first, tied for first, lost in the playoff. Last year, I finished first uh, by a million. And then, so this, and, and I will tell you, coming into the weekend, I was just starting to round into form. Last man's night shot 73, like nothing. I mean, I'm feeling great. And come the tournament, I hit 13 greens on Saturday, I hit 12 greens on Sunday, and I shot 85 and 78. Why? Because I three putted a record. 12 times in 36 holes. Now, I can tell you from having done that before, uh, it's not pleasant. And uh, I was wor- I worked my ass off to not create a story as it was going on. But when you've three-putted five times in the first seven holes of a tournament, it's tough. I even said to my caddy, I said, you know, in every round of golf, there's... A stretch where it's, you know, a bit of a struggle every round of golf. Even when I shot 67, there's moments where you're, like, unsure of yourself. Yeah. But I, And I said to him as we left the seventh hole, I said, maybe this was our stretch. Now let's go. And so I was constantly trying to update and reset my computer. But I'll tell you, it was tough because I'm just a, a regular guy. And it, it was a bit, it stung for sure. Especially, oh, absolutely. Especially because I was hitting the ball and playing the kind of golf tee to green where I would have had a good chance to defend. Uh, my, my good friend and arch rival, Tim Southcott, prevailed. But even he didn't shoot the kind of scores that, you know, had I may have put. We, we didn't push each other. And, and we, we talked about that. Like, he, he sort of won it fairly easily because I'm his closest competitor. And, I, and I, I was – but I will tell you two things quickly that I didn't tell you about it because I didn't want to give it any error because I'm a great putter who just had a bad couple of days. Absolutely. Well said. But on the second day, rather than mope and, and be all petulant about it, I, I asked my uh, my love, my girl, Rachel. Aww. I said, 
why don't you come to the golf course with me? We'll make a day of it, you know, because she likes to hit balls on a Sunday morning. That's one of the things we do. And I said, you know, you hit your golf balls, go do some stuff, and come hang out with me and watch me play the last nine holes. And and she didn't. And I will tell you, it, it was a big breakthrough for me because I made the day mean exactly what it should have meant, which is it's a beautiful summer's day. I don't want to be all in grindy tournament mode. Now, I tried my best. I three-putted five times in the second round and shot 78. So I continued to hit it well. But as I said to her, I said, I've got to get something out of this second round that will help me tomorrow when I have to go and try and qualify for this stupid senior am again, which a year ago I did and got retroed out. So I have a lot on the line. Right. I mean, theoretically, but in reality, I also said to myself, you know, this story you're creating, Howard, is only it only matters to you. So I, I made that abundantly clear to my subconscious that this wasn't the the be all and end all of my life. So I, I finished fifth in the club championship. Not very good. And I, I'll be honest, with you, I was disappointed, but I took it. Yeah. I, you know, I said, well, this is obviously I've got some things to work on in my putting. And by the way, the next three days, I played 54 holes of tournament golf and three-putted exactly one time. But here's, here's what I wanted to tell you. <laughs> so I go the next day. That just so fits with, like we talked about earlier, 61 one day, 75 the next. Right. So I got to go on the Monday to qualify for the senior amateur. Uh, down the middle of the first hole, uh, make par. Down the middle of the second hole, on the green the second hole, and three-putt. And here's what I said to myself. I didn't add that to the three putts I just had from the previous tournament. What I said to myself that saved me was this. I said, you know what, bud? Because I lipped out. Like it was about a six-footer because my first approach putt had gone six feet by. But no big deal because sometimes that happens. And I lipped out. And I said this. I said to myself, I said, don't worry, bud. All of these are going to start to go in any time now. They're just going to start to lip in because of the 12 three putts, I I know it sounds dramatic, but four or five of them were 60 or 70 feet because I wasn't releasing my second shots the way I normally do. So, yeah, I was I was hitting it okay, but I wasn't hitting it whole high. I was kind of sort of blocking everything. So a lot. So half of those three putts were enormous putts, and two or three were four or five footers that I lipped out. So it's not like I was putting it off the green, although I did that once. <laughs> I putted it off the green in a tournament. So We've I get, done that. So anyway, senior am, everything's fine. A three putt, and I go around the rest of the golf course, hitting hybrids, everything's fine. I'm on the back nine. I've got I'm in the middle. I mean, I've, I've teed off on the 15th hole, ripped hybrid down the middle, and somehow it kicked to the left, and I'm in the rough. No big deal. 120 yards. I'm just, I have a little tree trouble, so I'm thinking, okay, right side of the green, just let's make par. And all I was thinking on the back nine was, not that I'm going to qualify, but let's just keep knocking down soft pars. Don't worry about it. Pars are your friend. Pars are fine. Don't worry. I wasn't trying to make birdies, although I made a couple birdies. So out of nowhere, I got a 120-yard shot. I'm three and a half holes away from qualifying after waiting a year, and I shank it in the trees. And I saw the ball go to the right into the trees. I haven't shanked a shot since the uh, first round of the Ontario Mid-Am three years ago. And I shanked it, and I was like, hmm. In fact, it was so weird, I didn't react at all. I went, hmm. And I said to the guys I'm playing with, I said, do you know if that's a hazard or not? They say, we're not sure. I said, no worries. I'll play a provisional. So, of course, what you do after you shank a shot is I pull it. I pull that shot into a bunker, a tough bunker shot, but I get that thing up and down for double bogey because I'm not sure if if I have to play that. Meanwhile, I go drop the one that we're not sure if it's a hazard, make bogey with that, and I move on, and I play the next three holes one under. Now, because I I had just... because I thought to myself, okay, that just happened. I had to write down, you know, five slash six. But I thought, okay, let's put that away until the end of the round, see what happens. I birdie 18 to shoot what I'm not sure if I've shot 78 or 79. Either way, it doesn't matter because 80 would have qualified. But the point of the story is I shanked that shot. I could have freaked the F out. I could have finished double bogey, 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 or some version of that. But, but I will tell you that. As I walked to the 16th tee, I thought nothing of that shank. I didn't even ask myself why that happened. I mean, part of it was the lie. Part of it was I was trying to hook a wedge out of a fluffy lie. Whatever it was, I gave no – I wasn't going down the fairway trying to figure out why. 
Anyway, that's the show. That's the show right there. That's um, that's cool. And, and, and you have grown so much, young man. You've grown. Because I think when we first knew each other, if you had shot, would you say you shot 85 in the uh, first round of Club C? Yeah, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I know you've got to go. I know you've only got a couple more minutes, so I'll tell you what we're going to do, folks. But here's what we got to do. We have to leave TSN. Uh, We're going to finish this at uh, on Swing Thoughts. We'll do a little podcast extra. Tim O'Connor is going to uh, comment. Thanks to Adidas TaylorMade. We'll see you next week, and thanks to everyone at TSN. Shiver in the dark, it's raining in the park. In the meantime, okay. Um, now I apologize, I didn't realize the time. I wanted to tell you that story, but uh, good story. So that's incentive for people to start listening to our podcast who don't. Because I, I'll tell you that. Um, I also didn't, what I didn't tell you on the show is a friend of mine died a couple weeks ago. Oh, my. Young, too, like 57, 58. Uh, Um, I'd worked for this guy. When I got fired in radio in 2006, I started directing corporate videos and television commercials, and I eventually started directing some TV shows, and it was all because of this guy. He died, so I had to go to his funeral after the qualifier. And that's another thing I said to myself before I teed off that day. I said, Howard, Howard, I call myself Howard. I said, Howard, if you bitch out and be a suck and fucking mope and you if you act like a child today, then shame on you, you fucker, because this guy, Rick, whose funeral you're going to is dead. And this is just a stupid game you play. And I I said to myself, you know, because I I would have been listen, I would have been disappointed not to qualify, especially when I went through last year. And I've had I was trying to explain to Rachel this only means something because if you don't qualify, you have to wait another fucking year. Yeah. But I said, it doesn't matter. That's not it. That's not. I wouldn't. I would have been ashamed of myself if I'd gotten mad. So when I shanked that shot, I was kind of like, well, that sucks. But let's how can I what's the lowest score I can make from here? I got up and down out of a bunker that was right next to the pin because I was still trying on every shot as we talk about. Because at least if you try, you have the opportunity for success. If you stop trying, you're guaranteed not to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. That's um, crazy, huh? Yeah. So I shoot 78 Monday, 74 Tuesday, men's night 74 with another shank. Don't know why. Um, Like, it's weird. I haven't shanked a shot in so long. Similar lie, and, 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 I, and I can tell you right now from, I don't know when you do it, but those two shots were both the same. They were both shots I was aimed maybe further right than I thought I was, and I was in a fluffy lie trying to play a hook and just got the, the shaft ahead or something, but, like, it was weird. So there I am uh, on the other night in the round. My, you know, play, I was playing pretty good, and I double bogey that hole out of nowhere, finish par par birdie and shoot 74 because even after i shanked it i thought well that's curious but i kind of vaguely understood what happened and just what are you gonna do um i'll tell you the putting thing kind of freaked me out a little bit but again i i kind of just accepted it like i said three or four of those putts tim i'm not exaggerating they were like from the front of the green to the back of the green they were just poorly hit shots that led to 70 foot putts yeah so i didn't walk around going i can't putt although i did change putters and that's what i want to say too is i think that as as golfers sometimes we're afraid to do something disruptive absolutely that makes a ton of sense i mean (laughs) That uh, wasn't that one of the key premise in Tin Cup when he started to have yes. this put but, your hat on, put your change from your left pocket to your right pocket. But look at Justin Rose. Three years ago, Justin Rose wasn't in the top hundred in putting. All of a sudden, he goes to that putter. He develops this this uh, putter that has a certain balance, and he saw grips it. He's in the top twenty. How do you explain yes. that? Well, I just decided when I I got to the golf course Sunday morning, I was like, okay, obviously, I need to look at something different. Now, I still three-putted five times, but five's better than 12. <laughs> so The best explanation I've ever heard of that was um, from, uh, oh, it's not Dave Thomas, Frank Thomas. 
And Frank Thomas used to be the executive direct uh, executive director of the USGA. Actually, yes. he was he was the guy who was in charge of approving clubs as conforming. He was the technical director. That's it. Anyways, I was given uh, the story I'm going to tell is that when I used to be the president of this group called the ING, we had a conference and they gave some of us uh, sticks, the golf company, the, the putter, the putter face was made with rubber. I mean, that was just, just rubber. Wow. And so I was given this no time to practice. Anyways, I go out and I one putt the first three greens. Just, and, and so it's like, wow. And I had like a great putting round with this putter I'd never tried before. So I call Frank Thomas um, and I was interviewing for something and I asked him, so what's going on? He says placebo effect. Yep. There was no thinking at all about technique, do this, do that. It was just, he says, you were infatuated with the feel of this new putter. And you just let that go. And he says, your natural stroke just happened. And voila, if you will. But typical thing, a couple weeks later, with this putter, I'm thinking, hmm, Am I maintaining the, you know, <laughs> my well, head still, and the putter joins the rest of the putters that are in the penalty that's box. That's right. Isn't, but isn't that the, the description of, like, everything, new relationships, you know? It's like everything seems great, and then after a couple of years, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm still the same schlub I always was. It's the old stuff again. But just to connect um, what I said to you at the beginning of the show, which is if you're doing something, you know, basically wrong – which I was. Now, here's the thing. Our, our good friend, Nick Trachillo, uh, coach of Humber, been on the show, great golf instructor. You know, he worked with me last summer on my putting. And I, I said to him, and like I, I, got, I had the tournament on Saturday, Sunday. Monday, I qualified. Tuesday, I played another tournament, played very nicely. Wednesday, I'm playing with Nick. And I said, hey, coach, before the round, I just want you to check on my, you know, I wanted to check on my basics. You know, where are my eyes? What are my stance? Where's the ball? Have a look at my stroke because I have a tendency to do the same thing wrong all the time. Of course is, we do. Which you is, do. We, we all do. As Nick said, you know, he's not surprised I went back to what feels comfortable for me because I've been doing that so long, which is I take the putter back outside and I kind of cut across it. Yep. And, and and it's hard to control speed when you're unsure of how the ball is going to, how the energy is being transferred. So we spent, I'm going to tell you, this is no bull. We spent eight minutes with a, 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 a ruler and a board that has a little bit of uh, bend to it, like a little bit of uh, arc to it. I, I He got me, once again, in good posture, where the ball is supposed to be, where my eyes are supposed to be. And all of a sudden... After sort of taking the club back, here's what I'd say, folks, straight or at least a little bit inside. If you take it back outside like I tend to do, it really makes the it makes the return harder, not impossible. So within a few minutes, I'm now arcing it correctly. I'm hitting up on the putt and I can't miss anything. And then he and I go out and play with a couple other good players and I shoot 74, which is as high as I could have shot. Everything I putted looked like it was going in. I had six to eight inch gimme putts on every par putt, no matter where it was on the green. Because, as he said, it's like, you. I have the natural instinct. You just need something. You can, if you don't have that, in my case, that little basic d- didn't allow me to release the putter to the hole the way I, what, the way I was hoping to. So yeah. there's, there you have a, a combination of the mental side, which is, you know, you know, I felt uncomfortable over the ball all weekend long. I knew something was wrong. I just didn't know what. I needed somebody else. I mean, you would have seen it. Anyone would have seen what I was doing. But I just needed somebody to look at it. And whether it was placebo or not, I just putted better. The ball, the energy felt different. It was rolling versus hitting. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And, and sometimes that's absolutely what it requires is these things are in our blind spots. You said that you have this old habit of taking it outside. Well, you've done it so often that you don't even notice it. And right. It takes someone else to see it sometimes. But it's unless you feel it that it makes a difference. So my sense is, is that Nick helped you see what was going on. You then aware of it. Now you're conscious of your incompetence. Now you can be consciously competent, but you owned it. 
Well, here's the kill, here's the last little element. And so we were talking about, you know, about feel on the greens because I don't want to be mechanical when I putt. And he said, you know what Stockton's guys, Dave Stockton, famous uh, tour yeah. player, but a famous putting coach. He said, here's what Stockton does with all his guys. And this was McElroy when he was with him. He has them all look at a spot in front of the ball. All of them. And I did that. And it just freed me up. Because, yes, I was. So I'd take my practice swing and go, okay, arc and up. That's all I thought. Um, Tick tock. And then I'd look in front of the ball and just release it. And I got to tell you, like, again, I didn't, I didn't sink, you know, bombs. But I sank the putts I was supposed to. And I, I two-putted everything. And I said to Nick, I said, you know, because, again, my buddy Tim, who has won the senior club championship at our course, he's just one of those guys. You'll see his name half a dozen times or more, you know, like a Lars Melander, one of these guys that just always wins. Right. So I said I would have given Tim a better run for his money had I been able to only three putt once or twice in a round. And I know everyone goes if and whatever, but I hit 13 greens and I hit 12 greens, and those numbers that should have added up to a couple of 75s, really, without even having a great putting round. But when I go, I love that term you use. My blind spot for my physical putting is that I get thinking and I'm doing it correctly or whatever that means, but I'm feeling it incorrectly. Yeah, I, I had a similar thing happen a couple of weeks ago. I went out to, there's uh, Guelph Lakes. It's just five minutes from my house. Love Guelph Lakes. Love that course. And it's got a great range. Uh, And anyways, I was just uncomfortable. I remember just standing out there and I was just uncomfortable. And it's going like, what the heck? I looked at like my shoulder alignment, what my hips are doing, where's my weight. And I finally got a sense that I was closed. I finally figured out that I was closed. So the connection I'm making is that, again, to what we're talking about during the show, is that it's oh, it still comes down to awareness of what reality is as opposed to what I'm thinking about. And when I feel what's happening in my game and I'm aware that, oh, this is going on, then I can, then I can make some kind of physical adjustment. So that's the thing I think gets lost sometimes when people talk about golf. Uh, you know, how much is it is the mental game and technique? And well, it's it's all blended together. But if you're not aware of what you're actually doing, and that's what, that again, when we talk about players trying to play practice golf, trying to swing the right way, just tie themselves in knots because they're just in their heads, and that's not golf. Golf is a physical game. All right, I know you got to go. So, um, and you do too. Yeah, I do too. I gotta, I, I gotta head to, uh, to a golf course. Um, just before you you, you you go to finish up, interesting. Just to note that I think like two, three years ago, if you shot eighty five in the first round of your club C, uh, I would likely get this impassioned phone call. Tim, I've got to talk to you or a text. You got some time? <laughs> None of that. You know, it's just kind of, you just, and and that speaks a lot to this acceptance, this maturity, whatever, this, how you're just rounding into this like higher being of person. It's like, well, thank you. Yeah, you're right. I would have, I would have called you in a panic and said, can you help me please? I can't putt. I can't putt. I don't know how to putt. Um, I mean, it's hard though. I, I will tell you when you, when you, Three putt that many times, it's almost impossible not to create a story around yeah, but also that. You're, also, I'm sorry, I just, I just want to no. make this point. When you have days when something's not working, the driver, you're pulling your driver, you're hitting your irons fat, or you've got a lot of three putts, there's just days in which just stuff just seems out of your control. And it's almost like having like a mini trauma. If you've had two three putts, and now you got another one, and it's kind of looking likely. You know, yeah, you got to be, you know, Nicholas Woods in terms of that ability to to let it go. And that's so so it hard. Is. Well, and it's just your body just kind of reacting. You know, you're tense. Ugh, it just happens. And and like I said, I started off the round. I hit six of the first seven greens in a row. I hit five of the. I hit five of the first five in a row, and I was four over par. 
Ouch. Yeah, ouch. And yeah. uh, that's hard, you know. It's like, God, you know, you're thinking, oh, what's what's this all about? When's it going to end? And then it becomes not a self-fulfilling prophecy, but it's tough to be aggressive. Oh, it's tough to be aggressive on a 15-foot putt for birdie because you're thinking, I really don't want to, you know, I, I really want to sink this, but I also don't want to have any more than two putts here. It's just tough. And that's absolutely natural. That's that. That's the thing is that that's totally natural to have that happen. But rather, and- but rather than make myself miserable, on the second day, I had my girlfriend there. I had a beautiful day. I stuck around to congratulate Tim. We had supper there. I didn't leave right away. And as I said to her, I said, I need to feel I need to get something out of this round because I, tomorrow I have another round. The next day I have another round. I, I, I just can't become this miserable beast that can't putt. Well, it's all about the learning. Right. All the, always a learning. You, you're saying earlier, um, you know, it's I forget what the phrase was, but it was it was so mature. <laughs> <laughs> like Fred, Fred Shoemaker, our, our, uh, our great leader, um, <laughs> that it's your performance tomorrow is not based on your right. performance. No, the today. past performance is no guarantee of future results. That's it. Your performance tomorrow is based on your learning today. Yes. And uh, and I knew that if I hadn't if I didn't feel good when I left there Sunday, it could bleed into Monday and Monday was also just another day that as I say, meant something. All right, Tim O'Connor, you're a good boy. Uh, well, let's catch up in the next couple of days cuz I've got a couple of uh, dates over the next few weeks where I've talked to Justin, our little producer guy, Justin Miller, who's helped us out. Uh, he might put together some best ofs because uh, oh, cool. I may not, I may not be able to record a few times. I got a pretty busy uh, July, but and we got to get some golf games arranged. It's not that we don't want to. It's just that we're busy boys. Yeah. Well, why don't we do that sooner than later? Uh, and you uh, I'll shoot you in a couple of uh, what are you doing Wednesday? Oh, I got a match. Okay. Well, I'm going to set us up a uh, men's night. Okay. All right. All right, Kate. I like you. Very nice boy. See ya. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye, Tim.